morning, everybody. Let me uh, add my uh, welcome to uh, Carl's and uh, Candle might get a bit friendly in a minute. So we'll move that. Uh, if you've been following the Bible reading on page 185, you might want to keep that uh, open for later. Let's um, ask God to help us as we look at uh, this passage and the surrounding books uh, this morning. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for your uh, word, for your instruction, for your life-giving word. As we open it this morning together, would you teach us from it and help us to use it to draw closer to you. Amen. So we're at the second of our uh, Lenten uh, series linked to the diocesan year of the Bible and following uh, Bernie's overview of the Bible last week in the context of our all-age service. Over these next few weeks we're going to look at different, um, not only different books of the Bible, but if you like different styles of writing, different types of uh, literature which are in the Bible. And this morning we're going to begin at the beginning. Um, with the uh, first few books of the Old Testament, uh, and in particular with the idea of the Old Testament law or Torah. And in some senses, of course, beginning at the beginning is an obvious thing to do, but very often, I don't know what you think when we open our Bibles, we're not particularly tempted to open them at the beginning. We're kind of tempted to open them at somewhere around page 950 when it starts to talk about uh, Jesus. And it's very interesting, when you open, you open my Bible at page 973 and you get to Matthew 1.1 and it introduces it as the book of Jesus, son of Abraham, son of David. And so as soon as you get to that part in the Bible, the Bible is actually pushing you back. Who is Moses? Who is Abraham? Who is David? And that's uh, what we're going to be thinking about over the next few weeks. And in particular, uh, we'll begin uh, with uh, these first five books of the Bible uh, this morning. And in a minute, we'll look at our passage that Carol read to us. I want to do a couple of things together. I want us to um, think about what are the big messages, what are the really important messages that God is communicating through these opening books of the Bible. And then also how we, as New Testament people, if you like, people who do live in the light of the life and work of Jesus, how we might use these books ourselves. So, first five books of the Bible, sometimes known as the Pentateuch, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They take us in a broad sweep from the Garden of Eden, uh, through uh, the life of Abraham and the patriarchs to Moses and the escape from Egypt, the crossing of the Red Sea, the people of God uh, spending time wandering in the wilderness through to the death of Moses just before that, those people cross the Jordan and enter the promised land. In sweep of time, they take us from the very beginning of time through to around the 1200s. BC. And I'd like to suggest we can draw three important lessons from these books as a whole. 
First, that there is one God, creator of the universe, who reveals himself as Yahweh or Jehovah. Second, that this God has purposes, and in particular, in these books, the purpose to draw a people to himself, God's people. And then thirdly, that following that God has ethical and moral implications which should impact behaviour. The whole history contained in these five books really centres around two key events. The first is the promises given to Abraham. Uh, They're in Genesis 12, they're repeated in Genesis 15, and they're repeated again in Genesis 17. The promises are that Abraham will have many descendants, that he will inherit a land, and that he will be a blessing both to himself and ultimately through his descendants to all nations. The second key historical event recorded is the Exodus, is the time when God rescues his people, not because they particularly deserve it, but by his grace as they escape from Pharaoh and cross the Red Sea. So in the context of these five books, what is it that we know as Torah or Old Testament law? So if you like, in Genesis and in the first half of Exodus, and then you skip forward to the very end of Deuteronomy, you have that historical narrative. But in the middle, we have a sizable chunk which begins at kind of Exodus chapter 19 and takes us all the way through Leviticus through to uh, Numbers chapter 10. And then all of that is recapped again in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 4 to, to 33. And these are the events which take place at, or very close to, Mount Sinai, where God speaks to the people that he has already rescued across the Red Sea and gives them, through the intermediary Moses, the gift of the law. And this is, if you like, Torah, a Hebrew word which we can uh, translate as law or as instruction. It covers personal and corporate and national and religious life for Yahweh's people. That second half of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers describe the time when Torah is first given by God and taught by Moses as he comes down the mountain. Most of the book of Deuteronomy is then actually a collection of sermons delivered by Moses himself at the end of the 40-year period of wandering in the wilderness, just before the people cross the Jordan into the Promised Land, just before Moses himself dies. And the passage which Carol read a little while ago from Deuteronomy 6 is part of the first of those sermons of Moses. 
So here in the beginning of Deuteronomy 6, verses 1 to 9, we see an example of each of the three of those important lessons from the first five books of the Bible. First of all, there is one true God. Verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. In the original uh, Hebrew, the direct translation would be Yahweh our God, Yahweh one. One God and hence one truth. And that actually was as countercultural in Moses' time as it is in our world today. We live in a society that wants there to be many truths, many gods. The Bible says no. Yahweh one. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And secondly, this passage shows a glimpse into the purposes of this God for his people. And in particular, this very famous verse that the people already saved by grace are to love him. To love their God with all their heart, with all their soul, and with all their strength. And this is what Jesus will later use in Matthew 22 and elsewhere to say is the first half, if you like, of the most important commandment. One God with purposes for his people, and then the followers of that God have certain um, ethical uh, implications to follow which should impact their behaviour. And the one that's drawn out in our, in our reading today, particularly in verse 7, is the idea that the people are responsible for passing this teaching on through the generations. So if there is one God and his purposes include that we love him with all of our strength and all of our, our heart and all of our soul, then the implication of that is that we have a duty not just to believe it ourselves, but to systematically have a way of passing it through the generations. So even just here in this short passage in Deuteronomy 6, we see all of the three big ideas of the first five books of the Bible. The instruction that the people of God, saved by the grace of God, should respond by loving him above all else and then passing that on. So how did the Old Testament people of God fare at doing that? I don't want to steal the thunder of the next uh, couple of weeks, but in short, not very well. The remaining 34 books of the Old Testament are largely a story of the people rebelling against God and not keeping the Torah. So about 600 years later, by the time we get to Ezekiel chapter 20, God says through the prophet, I said to them in the wilderness, I am the Lord your God, walk in my statues and be careful to obey my rules, that they may be a sign to you that you may know that I am the Lord your God. But the children rebelled against me. 
They did not walk in my statues and were not careful to obey my rules, which, if a person does them, he shall live by. So if we fast forward to the New Testament, we have an Old Testament people of God who really have not kept the Torah. How is it that Jesus uses this instruction I'd like to suggest that he does it primarily in two ways. First of all, he quotes from it. He quotes from it regularly. So, for example, when he is tempted by the devil in the wilderness, the three retorts that he gives are all direct quotes from the book of Deuteronomy. When he's countering the Pharisees later on, he uses quotes from uh, Genesis from Exodus, and again from Deuteronomy. Jesus' own teaching on marriage includes quotes from Genesis and Deuteronomy. When Jesus, in John's Gospel, seeks to explain his own divinity, he draws upon the examples in Exodus of God in the burning bush. A story we know very well, the story of the Good Samaritan. The prologue, the, the conversation between Jesus and the teacher of the law, which sets up the parable of the Good Samaritan, involves quoting from Deuteronomy and Leviticus. And questions on the most important commandment, Jesus quotes from Leviticus 18 and from our passage here in Deuteronomy 6. So from the frequency in which he uses these books, and the breadth of subject matter in which he's covering in his teaching when he's quoting directly from them, I think we can be confident that Jesus took these scriptures seriously and that for him they had authority. That's the first way in which Jesus uses the Torah. The second way is that he taught it and its meaning to his disciples. And in particular, I think he did that in the time between his resurrection and his ascension. We see this in Luke 24, first of all on the road to Emmaus, but then also subsequently in Luke 24 when Jesus appears to his disciples. So that verse 44 says, Then Jesus said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. It is clear that Jesus sees himself as fulfilling the Torah. So we thought about how the Old Testament people of God misused it, how Jesus used it. How should we use these first five books of the Bible and the Torah? Let me suggest uh, three ways to conclude. First of all, I think we should use them understanding that originally they were given as God's gift to people that he had already saved by grace. 
by rescuing them from Egypt. They are given as teaching for God's saved people, not as a means of saving people. Secondly, we can use them to further our understanding of the relationship between God and humanity, which God himself intended. These books are at the beginning of our Bibles because they are, in some sense, foundational. They tell us where we came from. And then thirdly, we can use them to see where and how they point to Jesus. And our most valuable resources, I think, for doing that are not necessarily in-depth study of the books themselves, but actually seeing where they bear fruition in the New Testament writings. So if you go through the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6 and 7, the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount is pretty much identical to the teaching of much of uh, the Torah. The post-resurrection teaching of Jesus, we've mentioned Luke 24, John 21 is the other place that you'll find that. And the book of Romans draws very deeply from this well. So as we travel through Lent together, committing together to uh, spend time in the Word of God, let us this week just consider these foundational texts for God's saved people, which point to Jesus, who clearly saw them as being fulfilled in himself. As we close, let's keep a moment of quiet and ask God to help us uh, to do this. Loving Heavenly Father, you talk through your Son that all in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms is to be fulfilled through the Christ. Would you help us this week as we spend time reflecting on your word to allow these texts to deepen our understanding of and our love for the Son that you sent to save us. In his name we pray. Amen.